0: Welcome to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. At Victory, we value love in action through growing, connecting, serving, and giving. We work to show God's love and share His truth as we love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. Here's this week's sermon by Pastor Terry Green. Have you ever had a boss that had unreal expectations? Megan, do not raise your (laughs) hand. or she diff- they didn't want you working any overtime, but they gave you enough work to fill up 60 hours. Or they frequently canceled meetings, they showed up late for things, but if you were late or delayed anything, then they'd get all over your case and fuss and complain at you. I saw Amanda nodding her head. Yeah, she talking about a previous boss, right? <laughs> she works with that. So. Alright, thank they- they, uh, they expected you to be able to purchase thousand dollars worth of stuff with the 500 bucks they gave you. They expected you to have the skills of an expert, but they wanted to pay you the basic salary. We've all had unreasonable losses. If you haven't had one yet, you haven't worked enough, maybe, yeah. uh, it'll happen. You're gonna have some that are unreasonable. My most obnoxious loss was in the Marine Corps. And uh, he was very unreasonable. and, And we all suffered because of it. But did you know that we all have a boss today? We all have the same boss. And he's great. The Lord Jesus Christ is our boss. He is the most reasonable boss in the history of bosses. And here's one of the reasons why. What God commands, he makes possible. What God commands... He makes possible. We're going to look at Matthew 14. We're going to look at a story that's familiar. If you spent time in church or uh, were raised in church, you've been around church a whole lot. then you've heard this story of Peter walking on the water with Jesus. We're going to look at that this morning, and I want you to think about it, that what God commands, he makes possible. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to be in your house today. We thank you for those who are serving in the military, and those who have served to provide the freedoms that we enjoy. But we know the real source is not just the soldiers, sailors, and veterans, but it's the Lord Jesus Christ. He gives us the freedom over sin and death. He gives us the freedom that our soul desperately needs He gives us the freedom from bondage to sin. And we thank you for the blessings that we have through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the blessings we enjoy through this great country. And this morning, we ask that you would speak into our hearts and lives. As we look into your word, we pray that you would encourage us and challenge us and possibly even convict us where we need to. Uh, change and grow. If there are people here who have not yet trusted Christ, may today be their spiritual birthday. May they ask Jesus Christ to forgive their sins and be their Savior. May we all rejoice with them if that happens here today. We thank you for the way you do work in our hearts and lives on a daily basis. In Jesus' name, Amen today we're going to look at several different passages of scripture so i'm going to encourage you to mark this spot in matthew if you can if you're uh, clicking online you can jump back to it sometimes you can just click an arrow back and it takes you right where you were. Uh, and and we're going to be looking at several other passages of scripture to uh, see parallels to what we're learning from this passage all right in mark chapter 14 we're going to begin in verse number 22 Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. Now this is right after the feeding of 5,000 men and their families. Then he uh, takes, uh, has them get into the boat and go before him to the other side. And then he sent the multitudes away. How many people were in the multitude? Probably 20,000 or more because there were 5,000 men. And, and verse number 21 said, those who had eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children. So in their day, in their culture, it's probably twenty to 25,000 people were there. And Jesus fed them with food from one little lunch, uh, a miracle that God did. And then Jesus sends his disciples across the water, and then he dismisses the crowd, and then he goes up on a hilltop on a mountain, and he spends time in prayer. While he's on that mountain praying, he sees the disciples struggling in the sea. And, And we'll read about that in just a minute. So he got his disciples in the boat. He sent the multitudes away in verse 23. When he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening was come, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now the Sea of Galilee is 13 miles from north to south and 8 miles from east to west, and where they were crossing was at the widest point of the the width of it, so if they're in the middle of it, they're at least 3 miles in, uh, and so they're in the middle of the sea. The Sea of Galilee is known for storms that come up because there's hills around it. How many of you have ever lived in a valley between hills and, or in a meadow where there's valleys and, and then the wind just comes whipping through uh, from the mountains it comes whipping across and that's how it was on the Sea of Galilee and it would toss and it would turn and, and this was a fierce, fierce storm. It was probably a Satan inspired storm trying to kill those who were following Jesus. He's called in scripture, The prince of the power of the air so uh, he's probably stirring this storm up Uh, but God uses the storms in your life to grow your faith and build your character these guys are going to grow these guys are going to mature these guys are going to see something as they're going through this circumstance that's going to encourage them that's going to increase their faith now Uh, Before David faced Goliath, what did David face that helped him have the courage to face Goliath? He faced a lion and a bear, at least one of each. He he faced them, they were attacking the sheep, he defended the sheep, and with the lion he grabbed it by the beard and slew the lion to to protect the sheep, and so he saw the hand of God deliver him on these things and so he knew when he faced Goliath the hand of God would deliver him there. He had learned. He also learned to escape and evade when he was fleeing from King Saul when King Saul wanted to kill him. And he used those skills again when his own son Absalom tried to kill him. So he learned and he knew how to lead people in escape and evade. And then he learned to repent. He learned to repent on a small scale with small problems. And then when he was confronted by Nathan the prophet and his big sin was exposed, he knew exactly how to repent and be restored to fellowship with God. See, your most difficult days are building blocks of faith and character. How many of you have ever tried to build a wall? Build a wall, you lay down blocks and you... I, I, I worked with guys who were really good at it. I was the helper. I was lugging blocks and mixing concrete and they were masters at it. They were super fast and did it and there were three of us running as fast as we could to provide the stuff for these guys to do their work. Uh, but they, they had it perfectly aligned they didn't have to measure it, didn't need a plumb line, didn't need a level and it was perfectly level, perfectly straight side to side because they had done it so much do you think the first wall they built was that easy? you learn the skill and you can learn the skill of trusting God in your mind and this month I've been listening through the Psalms uh, as I walk in the morning and I have my headphones on, I was listening to the Psalms, and it reminded me of a couple times in my life when God really stretched me. Uh, I was going through something, and, and I went to God's Word, and it, it grounded me, and encouraged me. And so, I, I want you to turn to Psalm 41. So, sorry. Psalm 46. Psalm 46. We're going to look there, and then a couple other passages in the Psalms. In the early 1980s, I led a tactical marine bus, a marine drug bust against a drug smuggling ring that was actually led by my roommate. I was put into his uh, room so that I could build this case against him. And it was facilitated by an officer, but my roommate was the head guy. And uh, he threatened to kill me. And after he threatened to kill me, when he was Uh, convicted and sent to prison. On the way to prison, he escaped from his handlers, uh, beat both of them almost to death, and got away. And he had threatened to kill me. He was stalking me. And somebody saw him a half a mile from my office uh, in the Marine Corps. I, I had an office. I was an administrative chief, admin chief. And so they saw him come, and they recognized him and because they recognized him he killed that person and he was coming for me and it was right around the time we were going to get married and I'm thinking do I want to bring a life into this you know I mean Kathy's tough but I'm not sure and I was really nervous and so I went to one of my favorite spots in scripture when I had anxieties I would start reading in Psalm 46 and Psalm 46 begins with our God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. It ends by saying the God of Jacob is our refuge. And in verse 10, be still and know that he is God. We can trust him. And normally when I face anxiety and I go to Psalm 46, I would read that and I'd just be so encouraged. That night, it wasn't enough. And I kept reading, and I kept fretting, and I just kept reading. And and then I got up to Psalm 56. Would you turn there, please? Psalm 56. And as I was fretting and worrying and praying and trying to trust God, the Holy Spirit really spoke into my life through these words that he put in Scripture. He said, uh, look with me at uh, Psalm 56 verses three and four and then verse 11. Verse three, whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. Notice it doesn't say, I believe you and I will never be afraid. It says, when I am afraid, I'll choose to trust you. In God I will praise his word. In God I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do to me. Verse 11. In God I have put my trust, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? And, and you know, I'm reading that and I'm thinking about this guy who was big and he was very strong and he was a combat trained Marine and he was way bigger than me, way stronger than me and, and intent to kill me and he'd already shown his capacity to beat people and kill people and I read that and I thought, what can he do to me? God's protecting me. And I remember in Job where Satan gave the testimony that God was protecting Job so Satan himself couldn't mess with Job. And I said, God, I'm going to choose to trust you. You know what's really funny? I never finished that song, I stopped at verse 11. and I said, in God I put my trust, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? I shut my Bible, I lay down, and slept through the night. We can trust him, and God uses the storms to help grow us. Years later, I would face bigger problems, and I could trust God. In the late 1990s, one of my uh, closest friends, who was a trusted mentor, started saying things that weren't true about me and turning things and trying to get people to take his side versus my side. It was a really awkward time in my life. And while I was walking this week and listening to Psalm 55, I remembered that. And in Psalm 55, David says these words in verse 12. For it was not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me, that I can hide from him. But it was you, a man mine equal, my companion and my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked to the house of God in the throng. Look at verse 16. As for me, I will call upon God, and the Lord shall save me. Evening and morning and at noon, and I will pray and cry aloud, and ye he shall hear my voice. Look down at verse 22. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. And you know, I found that when somebody I had been relying on was no longer reliable, God was just as reliable as he had ever been. And I could trust him, and my relationship with God grew. I'm not saying it was hindered because of the other guy, because I was trusting, God uses people in our lives But when there was no one else to rely on, I could rely fully on the Lord. God used the storms in my own life to help grow my faith and help mature me. And God will build your character and grow your faith through the difficulties of life, just as he did with the apostles in this ship. Back in Matthew 14, it's easier if you have Uh, prep Bible to just flip right back but Matthew 14 look at verse 25 he says now in the fourth watch of the night Jesus went to them walking on the sea now he's not talking about a watch like a watch you'd have on your wrist Uh, he's talking about the time slot of soldiers guarding so when did the night begin in their culture and their day what did they consider it 6 p.m. So the first watch was 6 to 9. The second watch was 9 to midnight. The third watch was midnight to 3. And the fourth watch was 3 to 6. That's how they did the night. So what time of day is Jesus walking? In the fourth watch of the night, between 3 and 6 a.m. How long have they been struggling in the storm? Well, he sent them away uh, when the evening came. So he sent them away before 6 p.m. And he was alone when the evening came. And so they've been out on this storm-tossed sea for at least nine hours. That's a long time to be in the middle of a raging storm. And they were in the middle of it And then Jesus came walking on the sea. You see, it's easier for God to do what seems impossible than it is for you to do what seems natural. Now, some of us have health issues, and there's times when you can walk better and times when you struggle to walk. And and some people really should use a walker, and they don't want to, and and they tumble and totter and and, uh, act like a (laughs) weeble. Uh, You know that little kids thing. Except weevils wobble, but they don't fall down. If we wobble enough, we fall. Uh, But you know, when you're healthy, you don't think about walking. After you've had a stroke, you have to consciously retrain your brain. All right, move left foot. Move right foot. You have to constantly work at that and build it up. But otherwise, you don't even think. You just get up and you walk, and you just move. Once you learn to walk when you're a little kid, you just do it automatically, naturally. Well, walking on firm ground is more challenging for you than walking on the water was for Jesus. God can do what seems impossible easier than you can do what seems natural. God spoke and the earth was formed. He put every star in place. What did he make man out of? Dirt. Out of mud. He just made a mud cake and breathed into it and became man. Uh, The story is told of an uh, atheist who was uh, having a contest with God and saying he could do anything God could do because he believed in the power of evolution and he was the highest level of evolution. And so uh, God said, okay, let's see you create man. And so the evolutionist gathers up some dirt and gets ready to work with the dirt. And God said, wait, 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 no, 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 you've got to make your own dirt. <laughs> now we know that's a fictitious story. But God made the dirt that he used to make the man. And then he pulled the rib out that he used to make the woman to show his specialness of man's creation. Mankind, men and women, specially created by God. When he wanted to create a T-Rex, he just spoke and the dinosaurs existed. He just spoke and the fish in the sea existed. He just spoke and the plants and the stars existed. But he got personally involved in the creation of This man was created in his image. Now, I want you to turn to 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6. God can do what seems impossible. And in 2 Kings chapter 6, there's a story told here that's pretty cool. I don't know if you've ever studied the history of battles, because I was a Marine, I did, I enjoyed that. Um, and in, in uh, 1967, 68, mean, there was a war where Israel was fighting against one of the Arab countries. And I don't remember the particulars of who they were fighting, uh, but the Arabs drove tanks. I mean, the Israelis drove tanks through an Arab minefield and they would stop and they'd blow up a mine, blow up a mine, pull forward, blow up a mine, blow up a mine, blow up a mine, pull forward. Well, the enemies uh, of Israel, they they knew they had a traitor, that somebody told them where the mines were. And so they they uh, actually slaughtered everybody who was involved in that all the way up to the rank of full bird colonel, their equivalent of that. And they killed them all because they knew one of them had to be a traitor. 10 years later, Israel finally admitted what they did. They put guys that were colorblind, on the lead tanks. And those guys sat with special hearing protection because they're riding on a tank that's actually shooting. And they could look through their binoculars and see the heat signatures of the mines. Because when there's a mine and there's sand, the heat signature causes the grain of sand to show up because there's a little vibration. And if you're colorblind, you can see the difference in that and so they drove their tanks right through the minefield and there was no traitor there were just people who understood the science of defective color vision and the benefits of defective color vision but in 2nd Kings there's something even better and these are the bad guys are going to testify about what God can do they're going to give testimony to the awesomeness of our God In 2nd Kings chapter 6, look at verse number 8. Now the king of Syria was making war against Israel, and he consulted with his servants, saying, My camp will be in such and such a place. And the man of God sent to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are coming down there. Then the king of Israel sent someone to the place of which the man of God told him. Thus he warned him, And he was watchful there, not just once or twice. Verse 11, therefore the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing. And he called his servants and he said, will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? He said, one of us has got to be a traitor. Verse 12, one of the servants said, none, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet of God who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom so uh, God allowed the prophet Elijah to hear what was going on by the enemy and so he could then warn the king and they could be delivered because it's impossible now in our day today we have some pretty amazing stuff that can listen in on things in fact there's part of a base down in Fort Huachuca that listens to uh, cell phone conversations in Saudi Arabia and other places, and they can track some of terrorist activities by listening in from satellites. Uh, They can take a picture of you from satellite where they just take a picture of the top of your head and then extrapolate from that how tall you are and what your facial features might look like, because they have pieces and parts of it uh, they can put a composite together that's pretty accurate God doesn't need any of that technology God can say to Elisha the prophet here's what they're going to do and Elisha can steer the king into a different place because our God rules over the thoughts that we think the psalmist said he knows what you're going to think before you even think it God is in control, and God knows what's going on. And it seemed impossible that that could happen, and yet the very enemies of God said, "That's what's happening." They believed that God was speaking to the prophet. Unfortunately, not all uh, the, the kings and judges in Israel didn't always believe God speaking to the prophets, but. Uh, God is never tired, he's never fearful, he's never worried, he's never frustrated, he's never out of ideas. When he was speaking into the hearts of men so they could write the word of God, God never had writer's block, he never had creativity block. Um, Jesus, God the son, found walking on the water to be simple and easy and no big deal. As the storm raged about him, he calmly walked on the sea easier than I'm walking on this platform. Because he's God. He's fully God and fully man. The God man, Jesus the Christ. And he could do that, even though we can't conceive of it. He could. It's easier for God to do what seems impossible than it is for you to do what seems natural. Now, we're going to come back to the idea that we started with, what God commands, he makes possible. That's why he's the greatest boss in the history of the world. He doesn't just tell you to do this and then work against you in the process. He makes it possible. So we're going to jump back to Matthew 14. And we're going to read a few more verses here. We're going to start in verse 26. And when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they said, oh, cool, man, check it out. They said, it is a ghost. They cried out in fear. They had never seen a ghost, but, you know, ghost stories have been around for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. They've never seen one. But immediately, verse 27 says, Jesus spoke to them. Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. So you see this thing walking on the water. Do you think they recognized Jesus' voice? They had heard his voice a lot. They knew what it sounded like. They weren't sure what was happening, but as soon as Jesus spoke, they knew it was him. And then Peter's commanded. Peter answered Jesus and said, Lord, if it is you, it's really you, not just an apparition, command me to come to you on the water. And so Jesus said, come. Now pause there just for a moment. Peter didn't say, invite me to join you. He said, command me, bid me to come. And when Jesus said come, that's an imperative. It's not a, hey, here, Peter, come on out if you want to. It was come. Come. There was a command there. And you see, we need to realize that what God commands, he makes possible. When he commands something, he then gives you the capacity to do it. And Peter understood this. When Jesus said, come, Peter said, cool, I can do this. And he climbed out of the boat in the middle of a storm that had been raging for hours. they have been enduring this for as long as nine or ten hours. And he just hops out of the boat, steps over the side, steps down into the water. Now, normally, fishermen preferred to be inside the boat. But Peter stepped outside the boat on purpose. So Peter then walked on water. Verse 29, when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go with Jesus. Jesus commanded it, and Peter knew he could do it because Jesus commanded it. Name a command that Jesus, uh, or the scriptures, command us today. What's something that we're commanded to do in our world today? Love one another. Love one another. Are some people easier to love than others? Yeah? Can you learn to show love to everybody? Yeah. Because it's commanded. Yeah? Obey your parents. Oh, that's so easy. You don't even have to try. It's just natural, right, kids? Especially you teenagers. Oh, you've had so many years to learn how to do it. You got it down. No, it's not easy, but you can do it. What? Honor your father and your mother. That's true for kids and for adults. We still need honor. Now, my mom and dad are living in heaven, but I still need to honor them. What I need to do is appreciate the good things. Now, my mom and dad weren't perfect. They, They had issues, and they created issues in our home, but I can be grateful and thankful for the good things that they did. One of the things I really appreciate is our parents made sure we went to church, and they raised us to follow Jesus Christ. Even though they didn't do it perfectly themselves, they encouraged us to trust and follow Jesus Christ. And I'm so grateful. We're also commanded to go and make disciples. We can do that. We have the capacity to do that. We can influence other people and encourage them toward Christ. We can do that because it's a command. So uh, take your Bibles and turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter one. I'm going to begin in verse number one. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. When the, when uh, the persecution started in Jerusalem, people fled, and that was called the dispersion. They dispersed into other countries. Verse two. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and the sprinkling of blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. He's writing to believers, to people that God knew they would trust and follow Jesus Christ and God put in their hearts the capacity to follow him. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope you know, it's First Peter. Yes. I am reading First Peter, and you're supposed to be in Second yeah. Peter. Are you? Yes. Yeah, I'm Glad somebody is. All right. Simon Peter, a bond servant, an apostle of Jesus Christ. It just dawned on me. Had to wait till I got to verse three before I figured it out. Roger was ahead of me there. So, to those who have obtained life, precious faith with us by righteousness, the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. So other believers, everybody who has trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. Verse 2, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. How many things that pertain to life and godliness? Everything. You have the capacity to do anything God wants you to do. Now look what he says. Who has called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceeding great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So he's saying, you know, there are things that can drag you down, but you have the capacity to overcome them. Now, you're not going to live perfectly, but you have the capacity to live perfectly. You have the capacity to do what's right. Uh, You kids and teenagers have the capacity to obey and honor your parents. You adults have the capacity to show love to one another, even to some people who are a little hard to love. You have the capacity to make disciples. Even though you're not going to do it perfectly every time, you have that capacity. You can trust and follow Him. God gives you the capacity to learn and then live out His commands his precepts, his laws, his principles. God never says, you know, I want you to meet this standard, and I'm going to make it so difficult, you'll never do it. I'm going to frustrate you. I'm going to have fun messing with your head. God doesn't do that. Satan does that. God doesn't do that. God says, I want you to be able to live up here, and if you will trust me and follow me, then you will grow, and you'll get closer and you'll mature, and you'll get closer, and you might fail a little, but I'll forgive you, and then you can make progress, and someday we'll be in his presence, and we'll live like him, because we'll be with him, and be like him, because we'll see him as he is, the scripture says. Because what God commands, he makes possible. He doesn't make it impossible. He makes it possible. Now, number four, when we fail to trust him, and start to sink, he lifts us back up. Look what Peter did in verse 30. Well, not in Peter, but in Mark, Matthew 14, verse 30. Matthew 14, verse 30. Now, Peter is on the water. He had come down out of the boat. He was walking on the water to go to Jesus. How far do you think he walked on the water? We don't know. It was far enough to be away from the boat, significantly away from the boat. So let's just pretend that you guys are on the boat, okay? I'm sorry, Mark, but Jesus is over there. Sorry, dude. But you guys are on the boat. And so somewhere probably between here and there, Peter starts to sing. So he's not close enough to just grabbed back onto the boat. He didn't step off the boat and stand there and and then move a little. He just started moving toward Jesus. And when he was looking at Jesus, he was doing fine walking on the water. But then he gets gets a little nervous. He looks around. Verse 30, when he saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid, beginning to sink, and he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. Now, I think he probably went from the boat to pretty close to Jesus. Because the Bible doesn't say, it's not specific, but it doesn't say Jesus sprinted across the water to grab Peter. It just says he grabbed him. So Peter cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him. So I think Peter got close. And have you ever gotten close to something? Then you start to relax. You know, if you study police reports and that... Most people who get in a car accident on a trip, they get in the accident within a few miles of their destination. Like, you get off the freeway, you're on the off ramp. you start to relax, but there's still idiots out there driving other cars, you know? Of course, you're not one, right? Uh, But but there are idiots out there driving other cars, and they don't always slow down getting off the off ramp. And, and so you get close I think Peter got close to Jesus and then he starts checking out the scenery this is cool I'm walking on the water you think he was trying to moonwalk I don't know I can't do that but, but he, was, he, was, he was excited to be out there walking on the water to Jesus and then suddenly he's in a panic now listen Peter does the exact right thing when he has a problem He goes to Jesus. He calls out to Jesus. When you have a problem, go to God in prayer. Call out to the one who can speak and change the world. Call out to the one who can just decide to overcome the obstacles of life. Jesus pulls him back up, and then Jesus gives him a a little rebuke. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, "Oh, you of little faith, Why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. So uh, when we fail to trust him and start to sink, he lifts us back up. So Peter was sinking, and Jesus was firmly on the water, walking firmly on water, now that sounds weird but that's exactly what he was doing and so Peter cried out and Jesus then pulled him back up on top of the water so now where's Peter he's with Jesus and now he and Jesus walk back to the boat so Peter got to experience that they calmly walked back to the ship see when we fail to trust him and start to sink, he lifts us back up. I want you to turn to Psalm 103. Psalm 103, I want you to look at a couple of verses here. I'm going to go ahead and start reading these verses. My en- Psalm 103, starting at verse 8. My enemies reproach me all day long. Those who deride me, swear an oath against me. I have eaten ashes like bread, and mingled my drink with weeping. Now, j- jump down to verse 12. You, O Lord, shall endure forever, and the remembrance of your name to all generations. You will arise. I'm reading 102. I did that again. Oh, brother. All right. Psalm <laughs> <laughs> 103. Good <laughs> need better glasses, or a better brain, or both. Just jump down to verse 11, or verse 10. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame, He remembers that we are dust. All right, I want you to look up here, and I want you to really think about this. Something's going to pop up on the screen in just a second. And I want you to think about this in relation to your own life and your own struggles. How many of you have ever struggled with sin? If you didn't raise your hand, I don't know why you didn't. You've struggled with sin. Even after you become a Christian, there's some struggle. And sometimes people get the idea that God stays mad at us because of our sin. It's very important that you understand this. His goal is restoration, not retribution. God's goal is to restore you, not to make you suffer. In fact, in Hebrews 12, it says our parents disciplined us sometimes selfishly. You know, uh, I don't know if your dad was like my dad, but my dad would yell at us if we were too loud. We weren't being naughty. We weren't being obnoxious. We were just loud boys. And he would yell at us because we were too loud because that bothered him. And that was for his benefit, not for ours. But God's discipline is always for our benefit. Jesus didn't stand there on the water and say to Peter, dude, you took your eyes off me. It's your problem. Deal with the natural consequences. No, he pulled them back up and he restored them. When we fail to trust him and start to sink, he lifts us back up. One of the gracious things about our God. And then, number five, when we walk with him, we can do what seems impossible. Alright, if you're over 60, and and you're normal over 60, you can't imagine bending over backward like that and looking at something upside down. Uh, Even if your back would go like that, your hips would uh, something would give in the process. I'm not going to demonstrate it for you, just trust me. Something would give. You would pop, snap, crackle, and pop like a bowl of rice krispies. And so Earlier in this chapter we read of Jesus feeding 5,000 men and their families from one small lunch. Peter was walking on the water. Joseph went from a prison trustee, somebody who was in charge of other prisoners, he went from a prison trustee to prime minister of Egypt in one day. Moses led the Israelites across the Red Sea on dry ground. The dust kicked up where the sea had been. Forty years later, with Joshua leading, the Israelites crossed the flooding Jericho, on, uh, uh, the flooding Jordan River, on dry ground. Gideon's 300 defeated the great army of the Midianites. Samson carried the city gates all the way up a hill. David defeated Goliath. The widow was feeding herself and her son their last meal, but she started helping the prophet and for days, many days, they had enough water and enough flour, enough oil and flour to make one more loaf, day after day after day. Peter walked out of prison through locked doors. Paul, delivered from prison by an earthquake that destroyed the doors and destroyed the locks and shackles, they were burst free, but it did not hurt the building or the people in it. A very specialized earthquake. And the angel Gabriel told Mary in Luke chapter one, with God, nothing shall be impossible. Nothing shall be impossible. When Jesus cursed a tree, what did the tree do? It withered. It shriveled and died. When he touched a leper, what happened to the leper's skin? Completely healed. Instantaneously healed. Today, for a leper to be healed would require a a treatment of multiple antibiotics. They would do broad-spectrum antibiotics and then specific, stronger antibiotics to be able to cure the leprosy. Jesus did it with a touch. He healed a man who could not walk. He healed a man who had never seen. Many who were demon possessed. A woman who had been bleeding nonstop for 12 years. She didn't even touch Jesus. He didn't even touch her. She touched the hem of his garment. The tassel at the bottom of his garment. She touched that and she was healed. The normal rules of life and death did not apply to Jesus. Nor did the law of gravity impede him when he ascended up into heaven. Just because you can't see away doesn't mean that God can't it doesn't mean that God is in any way hindered for Jesus taking Peter for a walk on the water was as simple as breathing it was no effort at all when we walk with him we can do what seems impossible now this is not an encouragement for you to be a daredevil Christian because I walk with Jesus, I can jump a motorcycle better than evil can evil. No, this, this some of you don't even know who that is, <laughs> I just aged myself. Like before church today, I talked about a color television, and Kathy said, You know, you don't need to say color. Just say television. They, they're all color now. <laughs> See, the key is what God commands. He makes possible. Yes, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It doesn't mean I can do anything I want to do. It means I can do what God wants me to do. Because he strengthened me and equipped me for it. If God wants you to do it, you can. You can step out in faith, trusting and following him. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you need to do that. Thanksgiving would be the greatest holiday in your life history if you knew Jesus Christ as your Savior. Don't leave today before you know that you have trusted Christ as your Savior. Thank you for listening to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to know more about Victory, please visit our website at victoryarizona.org. You can also connect with us on our Facebook page, or by emailing victory at victoryarizona.org. We'd love to help you accept and follow Jesus Christ.